there. All right, John chapter 14. We'll say welcome to you all and welcome church. I'm excited about uh, preaching this morning on a sermon entitled The Remedy for Troubled Hearts. The Remedy for Troubled Hearts. John chapter 14 is a text where we'll find this morning's sermon. If you do me the honor, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, uh, we are standing in recognition that God himself has spoken to us, his creation, through his word. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3 again this morning. Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and this is what he said. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank you for his word. Father, we do thank you that you've spoken, Lord. We thank you for just the immediate reading of this text. What a glorious promise, Lord, that you have gone to prepare a place for us your church, your people. And the best thing about that place is that you are there. That we get to be with you, Father. Lord, I pray that you'd align our hearts with your word this morning. I pray that the Spirit would convict us, that we would confess sin openly today. And that if there be anyone here who cannot say with a guarantee in their own life that this place you're preparing is for them also, that you, Lord, by your word would or convict them of their sin and cause them to come to faith in you. Lord, we thank you for the glorious benefits of knowing Christ, serving him. We ask your blessing upon our time now, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I know it's been a month since we've been in the Gospel of John. We took a brief break to go over our series on church membership. But if you remember the context, everything that happened in John 13, remember. Jesus has just been betrayed by his close disciple and friend, Judas. He's just acknowledged Judas has that he is going to betray him. He's also announced to the disciples that he is going to the cross. And so with all that's taken place, all that's going on, and all that's about to happen in the last week of Jesus's life, we're told in this chapter that Jesus is greatly troubled. And yet we see here in this text, like we've seen time and time again, that his attention and his focus is not solely upon himself. Instead, we find Jesus directing his attention to the troubled hearts of his disciples. Jesus knew that they were deeply troubled. At a time when their master was so troubled in heart, instead of them working to offer to comfort Jesus, we find Jesus working to offer comfort to them. But let's ask this question, why were the disciples troubled? What was going on that gave them these troubled hearts? Well, first of all, they had troubled hearts because Jesus was troubled. This was troubling to them to see their Savior troubled. After all, if the one who calmed the sea, the one who brought fear upon demons and cast them out, even the one who raised people from the dead, if he expressed a troubled heart, then it makes sense his followers would have a troubled heart by the mere fact that he himself was troubled. I don't know if this happens to you, but every time I watch a sporting event uh, with my children present, 
uh, there is, even though one's three and one's ten months, they don't know what's going on. They know when daddy's team is losing that daddy's heart is greatly troubled, right? And so they begin to reflect some of the anger and some of the fits, the grown-up temper tantrums that their father begins to display during that sporting event and in the celebration as well. Uh, and so I think this is what exactly the disciples are feeling. They know their master, their father, Jesus, is, is troubled, and so they themselves are troubled. But not just that. They were also troubled that Jesus had just told them that he was going to be betrayed. They were also troubled about what Jesus said about Peter by uh, denying him and his upcoming denial. In fact, if we go back and read the gospel account in Matthew chapter 25, they were also concerned about themselves. Because Jesus had said, not only is Peter going to deny me, but all of you are going to scatter like the wind when things come to end. They were also greatly troubled by the fact that Jesus told them, told all of them that he was about to leave them. Of course, that can be troubling. All these things built up together, gave the disciples a deeply troubled heart. And, and you see, we need to remember this about the disciples. They had left everything to follow Jesus. He was their life. And he had told them that he would never leave them nor forsake them. When the disciples were presented with that question, are you going to leave me as well? Remember what they said? Where will we go, Father? For you have the words of eternal life. They left their families, their homes, their jobs, everything to follow this Jesus. What would they do if he should leave them? No doubt that's a, a quite troubling thing to think over. Troubled hearts are a reality for believers and unbelievers alike. Some of you this very morning have come into this service today with troubled hearts. And if that describes where you are at right now, I want you to be encouraged this morning. I want you to know that there is a remedy for your troubled heart. There is a prescription the Lord provides here in this account that if you follow it, it will grant you relief and comfort for your troubled heart. The remedy for that troubled heart is faith. It is. It's faith. And, and now, before we talk about the proper objects of faith, I need to clarify something about faith. Faith alone, faith is not a remedy in itself. Faith is not a remedy itself. Here's what I mean by that. Faith is not a remedy itself. The remedy is found in the only proper object of faith, which is God alone. Why do I have to make that clarification? Because some think all it takes to get through difficult times is, is just faith alone, having faith in something. But faith, even having faith, and having faith in faith is irrational. Faith cannot be the object of faith. See, I say this because some people think that all we need to cure our troubled heart is the power of positive thinking. Some have built huge ministries and churches peddling what they call the power of positive thinking. But friends, that's not what the scriptures teach. Now, of course, we cannot and must not deny that faith is crucial. Faith is very important. Without faith, we will never find true and lasting relief from any of our troubles. 
But faith is not the remedy in and of itself. Faith is simply a glorious instrument that points us to a glorious object in which to place one's trust. B.B. Warfield put it this way in his quote. He said, It is, accordingly, solely from its object that faith derives its value. This object is uniformly the God of grace. It is not faith that saves, but faith in Jesus Christ. It is not, strictly speaking, even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. So, so faith is valuable, but where it gets its value is found in the object in which we place it. We're told that the proper object of faith here is God and God alone. Look what he says in verse 1 of our text. Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He acknowledges that there is such a thing of having a troubled heart for the believer, and his prescription for that troubled heart is believe in God and believe also in me. That's the first thing we see in the remedy of the troubled heart, is going to believe in God. So before we get into this, there's an understanding that this here in the Greek is two commands. There are two separate commands. In fact, the tenses of these verbs call us not to just at one time uh, trust and put faith in God, but it's an ongoing, it's a continual faith and trust. We are to believe in God and Jesus Christ and keep on believing in God and on the Lord Jesus Christ. If we would keep our faith focused upon our Father and our Savior, our hearts wouldn't be so often troubled as they are. So the first proper object of faith is God, faith in God. So what are we to believe about God that would grant us comfort? Well, we can believe in His sovereignty, right? That things are not out of control. It might seem chaotic at times in our own lives, but the truth is, things aren't. God is in control. We ought to have faith in His gracious promises that despite how difficult things may be, there is a promise that there is relief ahead of us as the people of God. Even though crime might endure for the night, we have the promises to know that joy will come in the morning. Have faith in His loving kindness, His mercy, His sustaining mercies, His bountiful benevolence, His goodness. We must have faith in God and understand these things about our God if we want relief for our troubled hearts. See, the Psalms are filled with this command to trust in the Lord, especially in difficult times. Just a couple of examples here. In Psalm 1830, the psalmist says these words. He says, As for God, His way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. He's a shield to all who take refuge in Him, who trust in Him. In Psalm 62, verse 8, Brother Judd read for us, the psalmist says, Trust in Him how often? At all times, O people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. He is that place of refuge. He is the one who will grant us that comfort that we desire. Of course, encouraging the disciples to believe in God and trust in God, this wasn't something that was brand new. They knew what God's Word said. They were taught the word by the Lord Jesus himself. 
They knew how important it was to have faith in God. But the thing that stands out in this passage is the fact that Jesus says, don't only have faith in God, but have faith in me also. That's the second remedy for a troubled heart, is belief in Jesus. They are to not only believe in God, believe in Jesus. Now, we know in our, our stance, in our point of view, that that's simple, right? Because we know biblically Jesus is God, right? So it would make sense. If we're going to have faith in God, we have faith in God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. But for them to hear Jesus say this had to, had to cause them to take a step back. Oh, we're going we're, to we're have faith in God? And at the same exact time, with the same exact level, have faith in Christ? That's second what we saw. The remedy for troubled hearts is faith in Christ. Now, what are we supposed to have faith in Jesus about? What are they to believe about him that would grant him, grant them the comfort? Well, when it comes to Jesus, there's a couple of things. We are to have faith in who he is. We are to trust Jesus when Jesus says that he is God. You'll note the fact he tells his disciples to trust in him just as they are to trust in God. And folks, let me remind you, there is only one proper object of faith, and that is God. Faith in anything other than God is what we would call idolatry. So the fact that Jesus tells them to have faith in him just as they have faith in God he is telling them and us in no uncertain terms that he is God in the flesh. The same one who speaks the word of God, the same one who does the works of God, should also be trusted as God because he is God. And because he's God, he's to be trusted no matter what comes our way. No matter how ugly, how troubling things might appear to be, we must remain steadfast in believing that Jesus is God that he's in control of the situation, that he is ruling actively over all things for the believer's good. We must also, secondly, believe that he's the Messiah, that he's the Savior, that he's the God who came to earth as a man, the only mediator between God and man, the only redeemer of mankind. That's a requirement. If you want to receive and understand what it means to have the true comfort of the troubled soul, you must understand and believe that the Lord Jesus is the only Savior. He is the only hope you have for the redemption of your sins and the entranceway into heaven. He's the only one who can save you from your sins and from all your ultimate trouble. You must believe that He is the Messiah. Not only that, not only must we believe that he is God and that he is the Messiah, we must also believe in what he's done and what he promises to do. We must believe in what Jesus has done and what he promises to do. We're given a glimpse of that here, even in this passage. He tells us this passage that he goes to prepare a place. Now listen, going to the cross was part of his preparations as was his ascension to heaven. When he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he was already on the way to prepare a place, and the cross was the first stop along the way. After the cross, he would go to the grave. After the grave, he'd be raised again on the third day. Then 30 days later, he would ascend unto heaven. All of this was part of the process of his going to prepare a place for us as his people. 
Now, this is interesting that Jesus says he's going to prepare a place for us. And let me let me tell you why. Let me read verse 2 first in, in John 14. Look what it says. It says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. It's interesting that Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Because what we find in Luke chapter 9, verse 58, is this statement that Jesus says about himself. The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Isn't that interesting? That the one who had no place to lay his head has gone to prepare a place for us? That he's gone ahead in order to, to provide accommodations for us? By this, we see that Jesus is the perpetual, self-sacrificing servant. He is always concerned for the welfare of others. You know this, right? Jesus could have had a glorious place in this life when he came to earth. All of the cattle of a thousand hills belongs to him. He could have had the greatest mansion this world has ever seen. But when he came... He had no place to lay his head. You know why? It was in order that he might be able to sympathize with others in this world who have no place to live. To give them hope that they might have a place beyond the grave. No doubt we have much to learn about the self-sacrificing love that Jesus has for us. Jesus tells us specifically why he must go. He tells us that he's gone to prepare a particular place for each of his particular people in his father's house. In other words, Jesus has gone to prepare a home for us. You want to talk about a remedy for a troubled heart. That's one right there. Remedy for a troubled heart. Jesus has gone to prepare a home for us. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been lost? If you know anything about my sense of direction, I need directions to get home from here, right? Uh, and I live in that house right there, okay? So uh, there have been plenty of times before the days of GPS where I was out somewhere and had no idea where I was going. And you know what my thought was? What do you say normally when you're lost? want to go home. I just want to get home. Listen, home is a good place, isn't it? Personally, I am what you'd like to call a homebody. Now, if you ever drive by my house, you would know that I'm hardly ever there, but that just shows you how much I love my wife, because if it were up to me, I would stay home all the time. I like to be at home. I have a number of reasons why I like to be home. I like it because it's familiar, it's, it's comfortable, there's a sense of order and expectation that's found in my home. I enjoy the company of my family in my home. I enjoy sharing our home with my friends and family and church who come from time to time. We all have a longing to be at home. And listen to me, this is a God-given longing. You know that? We all go through life looking for that perfect place to call home. We'll spend our whole lives looking for it, but nobody ever finds it on this side of glory. And there's a good reason for that. You see, the only place that can truly be all that a home is meant to be is our Father's house in heaven. That is where our perfect home is. And I can tell you that it is absolutely true that there is no 
place like home. There's no place like it on this side of the grave. Our lives are designed by God to be a pilgrimage. You know that? A journey in which we go from one temporary house to the next until we reach our eternal home in heaven. Now, this is very convicting for me. Can I tell you this? Let me tell you why. Many of us, myself included, are prone to try and make ourselves feel at home during this pilgrimage. So oftentimes what we do is we are hard at work trying to make our temporal home satisfy that which only our eternal home can truly satisfy. But if we truly understand, if we really grasp the glory of the home that awaits us in heaven, friends, we would soon realize that our efforts to find satisfaction through the earthly homes it's actually a waste of time. When it comes to this world, we are just passing through. Think about this for just a moment. Wouldn't it be ridiculous for us to take a U-Haul with us during a vacation? In order that we might be able to take all of our stuff with us to move into each hotel room along the way. Now, if you have two small kids, it often feels like you're packing U-Haul anytime you go anywhere, right? But much less, could you imagine if we added up all the furniture, we just packed it every time we took a trip anywhere? That would be silly, wouldn't it? Listen to me. Wouldn't it be ridiculous for us to go into a hotel room during a vacation and begin to paint the room, hang pictures on the walls, put a change of address into the post office? That would be crazy, right? Why? Because we know the hotels we stay during our vacation, they're just temporary dwellings. Likewise, the homes in which we currently live are but temporary. So we ought not try and make them more than they are meant to be. Now, of course, listen to me. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to have a nice home. No. Please don't get me wrong. After all, one of the things we learn about the Proverbs 31 woman, what she's praised for is making a good home, right? In many ways, it'd be a great blessing to have a home that you can put down roots and raise a family and, and, and a home in which you can grow old. But here's the point of application here. The thing I want you to grab hold of is we should never feel so at home in this world that we lose our longing for heaven. We should never feel so at home, so comfortable in this world that we lose our longing for heaven. The truth of the matter is if we truly belong to the Lord, we will never be at home until we are home with our Lord. This is a good thing. It's a blessing. The Lord has made it so. He has put a longing desire in us for us to be at home within our hearts. He has made it so we will understand that we are in the world and not of the world. That we are pilgrims on a way to a better country. A great heavenly city whose builder and architect are not the human builders, but God himself. God has made it so that as his people, we will always be homesick until we get there. Truly, at the end of the day, there is no place like home. There is no place like heaven. Now, Jesus goes on to tell them and us something that I think possibly be even more comforting than that. A remedy for our troubled hearts is this. 
Jesus will come again to receive us to himself. Jesus is going to come again and he's going to receive us to himself. Listen, our comfort, or the comfort that God is prescribing from our troubled souls, it does not come from merely going to heaven. But our comfort really and truly comes from being with Jesus. Remember, Jesus is saying these things in order to comfort his disciples. He knows that the thing that they want most is not just to go to heaven. Why would they want to go to heaven? Because that's where Jesus is. As they're thinking about the departure of their Savior, about Jesus saying he's going away from them, all they want, what they want most, more than anything else, is to be reunited with their Savior. See, Jesus is the one that will make heaven worth being. He's the one who is the radiance of the glory of heaven. And for those who truly love Jesus, the thing that makes heaven so great is not just all the wonderful amenities, uh, amenities that we're going to enjoy there. It's not the wonderful idea that we'll get to escape hell and not have to burn. It's not the air conditioning. The thing that makes heaven so sweet is the fact that we will be there with Jesus. You take Jesus out of heaven and heaven is no longer a place anyone should want to go. You notice that Jesus doesn't say that when he returns, he is returning just to take us to heaven. That's not what he says. What does he say there in the text? He says, I will come again and receive you to myself. See, heaven can only be heaven if we're there with Jesus. So the antidote of the remedy to our trouble, great and small, is not just the comfort of knowing that we're going to heaven. Though that does bring comfort, the remedy itself comes by knowing that we will be there with Jesus. And that is what we ought to desire. Because he's the one who will wipe away our every tear. He's the one who will comfort us and remind us that he has put away every pain and sorrow. He's the one who's going to assure us that we are going to be blessed forever by being in his presence. Jesus is the reason for him. Because for the Christian to be truly home to be with him. Now in conclusion, I know you're freaking out at the In conclusion, this passage is one that is often read at, at funerals of the and, and it's, it's certainly appropriate to be read I mean, if any one of us has a troubled heart because we've lost a loved one in death, then we need to hear what Jesus is saying to his people this morning. That he's gone to prepare a place for you. He's coming again to take you to be with him and to be with your loved ones that have passed on into glory. And if you truly love Jesus, then you will appreciate that remedy for your troubled heart. But Jesus offers these words of comfort to us, not only to comfort loved ones of him. It's not just for that. But it's to offer us real hope, comfort, and encouragement all of those times 
that are false. So let me say, if your heart is troubled, the only true remedy will be found by continuing placing your faith in God and the Son of the Lord Jesus Even though things may be really difficult for you in this morning, if you belong to Christ, then take comfort in knowing that Jesus has gone away to prepare a place for you. Take comfort in knowing that Jesus is making a custom-designed home for you in heaven. Take comfort in knowing that He loves you and will one day receive you into Himself if you belong to Him, so that you may say, wherever He is, I am also. Take comfort in knowing that on this day, even this very morning, you are one day closer to being there than you were yesterday. Take comfort in knowing that your trials and your tribulations, they're temporal, they're finite, they will come to an abrupt end shortly. Take comfort in knowing that the greatest of difficulties you will ever face in this life are as bad as it will ever get for you. There is comfort in knowing Christ in this way. There's comfort in seeing your problems in this worldview and light. It only gets better if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So take comfort that the day is soon approaching. That day where we will be able to say, even as the apostle Paul did, even the greatest troubles in this life are but light and momentary afflictions when compared to the exceeding weight of glory that awaits us. So, so we ought, as the people of God, to take in this final application. Be prepared for moving down. We ought to be prepared for the day of our move to our eternal home. Let's just think about this. You know, when we make plans to go on vacation again, to a, to a place that we've never been before, typically what we like to do is we like to do our homework. We look at maps, we figure out where we're going, where we're going to be staying, how much it's going to cost, what the experience is going to be like. Well, friends, how much more should we prepare ourselves to go where we will spend not just a short vacation, but an eternal rest? There's an old story, you may have heard it, about a king and a jester, and a jester who sometimes said some foolish things. One day, the jester had said something so foolish that the king gave him a staff, and he said to him, Jester, take this staff and keep it until you find a bigger fool than yourself. Well, some years later, the king laid on his deathbed, and the members of his court were called, his family and his servants. They, they stood around his bedside, and the king addressed them, and he said this. He said, I'm about to leave you, going away for a very long journey, and I shall not return again to this place. So I've called you all to say goodbye. Then his jester stepped forward and addressing the king, he said, Your majesty, may, may I ask you a question? When you have journeyed abroad, visiting your people and paying diplomatic visits to other courts, your heralds and servants have always gone before you, making preparations for you. May I ask what preparations your majesty has made for this long journey that he's about to take? Alas, replied the king, I have made no preparation. Then the jester said, Take this staff with you, for now I've found a bigger fool than myself. Friends, we need to be prepared for the journey that's ahead of us. We do well to consider where we plan to go and what it will be like when we get there. 
if you hope to get to heaven, you first of all must have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must have repented of your sins, placed yourself off in the throne of your life, and put Jesus on his rightful throne of your life, and submit to him as king over your life. Trusting in his work on the cross, that he died on the cross for the redemption of his people, was enough for you to enter into his presence. That he gave you his righteousness, took your sin upon himself, and imputed to you the righteousness of himself, so that when God looked at you, he sees the blood of his son covering your sin. Friends, have you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? He's the only way to heaven, as we'll see next Sunday on Easter morning. And if you already have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you would do well to spend some time contemplating this place where you'll be spending all the time. It takes about to read the Scripture. Read what the Scriptures tell us about this glorious place that we're headed to. If we spend that much time and effort thinking about our vacations or where we will go, how much more important is it that we spend time thinking of the things of eternal value? Thinking about the things on the other side of the grave. And then, Christian, I've got one more thing to say. If you know that you belong to Christ, and you know that this place He's prepared is a place for you, oh, friends, praise Him. You praise God. I, I understand the fear of death we all have. I get it. But you know this, right? That fear, it's rooted and grounded in the idea that this place is our home. That fear, though I, though I, 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 I understand it. I want to be empathetic to you. I want you to know I did it. It's ultimately because of a weak faith. Friends, we get to go to heaven. Why would we be so afraid of death? Why would we fear it so much we get to be with the Lord for all eternity? This life is but momentary. He sealed us with Him forever. And that is something that should give you so much joy that you walk around with a smile on your face all day long and continually praising the goodness and kindness of a merciful Savior who saved you as a rotten sinner and gave me the promise of eternity. Friends, have the joy of the gospel. Oh, how we need God to grant us His grace to this very thing. We need the church to encourage us, to hold us accountable for this very thing. And we would live with that hope. Tell others about it. Pray God to change your heart through His word this morning. Let's stand together as we join our hearts together. Oh, Father, how merciful you are. Lord, how we bow down and recognize that if we belong to you, we're tied together with you, then you've gone to prepare a place for us. What joy should fill our hearts. Lord, in light of that, though, though our hearts may be troubled by the things of this world, Lord, we know that, that this is an ultimate this is an ultimate thing that we should submit to. That no matter what comes our way, you have been gracious to us in the gospel. Lord, if we belong to you through faith in your Son, we are granted a heavenly home where there will be no more troubled hearts, 
where there will be hearts that are filled with praise and joy to the Almighty God. Oh, how we long for that. Father, we ask for your grace each day as we know, as we know, Lord, that the struggle is real, that tomorrow there may come a trouble that comes into our lives and, and we forget. Lord, we're so forgetful. And yet remind us of your text, of your scripture. Remind us of the truth that is found so that though our hearts may be breaking trouble, we know that you, you alone, are the remedy. We grant us grace. Build that this morning.